thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 12. We'll read there together in just a moment. I want to tell you about a couple of things uh, coming up um, in, your, in your information, in your worship packet is a information about our new app. And if you do recurring giving, I, our family does recurring giving. It's easy. We never miss it or forget it. You'll have to go to that app and then cancel the old one. We'll eventually stop using that just so we don't pay for both. But uh, it's easy to do. And if you have help, need help, just call the office or stop by the Welcome Center Connection Point. We'll help you with those things. And then today is the membership class. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. And I teach that class today from four till six. And even if you've not signed up, you're welcome to come. It'll be on the Seven Hills side. If you come into the Seven Hills entrance, it'll be a little quicker to find, but we'll have signs here that'll help you to find it. Four, four o'clock till six today. In the earlier service, I don't normally like uh, recognize birthdays in a service, but I made an exception for a guy in our church who was a, uh, who's a World War II veteran and who will turn 100 on Tuesday. And he was here, drove himself to church and walked in briskly. He walked a lot faster than a lot of the younger guys I noticed. Walked in briskly. He's always here, always active in church, getting a life group right now. And I love that. And um, you military types or history buffs, or if you just like older folks, he's, his name's Clifford Good and a uh, fascinating guy and had a really amazing story in the uh, Army, Air, Army Air Force before the Air Force was fully formed. He'll have to if you, if you meet him, you'll love to hear that story. Well, let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first six verses there, and we're going to talk on the subject, You Can Come Home. A guy named Thomas Wolfe, an author named Thomas Wolfe, wrote a famous novel that said, You Can't Go Home Again, and I know what he means, because there's a sense in which even if you go back to where you used to live, things have changed, time moves on, and you can't change the circumstances of your past, and if you miss this day, you, can't, you don't get this day back. Um, but I want you to know, and the book of Hosea is saying this over and over to us, that God wants you to come home. And the book of Hosea is just a reminder to, the, to Gomer who leaves Hosea, to Israel who left God, to us as we tend to run from God. It's a reminder that we can come home and God invites us to come home. Let's read uh, just the first six verses of the book of Hosea, of, of chapter 12 of Hosea, rather. The Bible says, Ephraim chases the wind and pursues the east wind. He continually multiplies lies and violence. He makes a covenant with Assyria, and olive oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also has a dispute with Judah. He's about to punish Jacob according to his conduct. He will repay him based on his actions. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, and as an adult, he wrestled with God. Jacob struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with him. The Lord is the God of armies. The Lord is his name, but you, must not, uh, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and always put your hope in God. Let's talk on this subject. You can come home. And I want you to note four principles with me this morning. If you're a note taker, you'd like to write these down perhaps. And principle number one is we tend to run away. Just note that in life. We tend to run away. And let's go back to verse one, where the Bible talks to us about this subject. It tells us really our tendencies in three ways. We tend to, first, we tend to chase what's fleeting. The Bible says Ephraim chases the wind and pursues the east wind. And there are a lot of people who are chasing what's fleeting, what doesn't last. I don't know if you've ever tried to catch the wind, but it's hard, right? It's hard. 
I mean, the wind is hard to get a hold of. But we chase things that don't last. And we have this tendency to run from God in general. One of the ways we do it is to say, I'm going to chase instead of chasing after God. I'm going to chase after whatever it might be, maybe possessions. And if I could just get enough, just a little more. And by the way, it will always be just a little more that you'll need. It'll always be just a little more. And we tend to try to get that. We think that's going to give us meaning and purpose. And so we chase and we chase, and it's never enough because it's fleeting. If I could just be popular enough, if I could have the right spouse, the right kids, the right parents, the right boss. And so we chase these things thinking that's going to answer the need of my life. That's going to fill the void that, I've, that I have in my life. And we have this tendency to chase. Just note that in your life. We tend to run from God, and we, one of the ways we tend to do it is to chase the wind like Ephraim. That's an analogy for the northern kingdom, what we call Israel. Ephraim chases the wind and pursues the east wind. And they, they're always trying to catch something they can never catch because you can never get satisfaction from just things. You never get meaning just from another person. God is reminding you that he wants you to pursue him, and our tendency is to chase things that are fleeting, things that don't last. And notice, we tend to disobey what's commanded. The Bible says Ephraim chases the wind and pursues the east wind, and he continually multiplies lies and violence. So we have this tendency to just disobey what God wants us to do. We say things like, I know what God says, but, or, you know, that's kind of old-fashioned, or the world has a better way, or this is what I think or what I feel, and and so we have this tendency to do, just as Israel did, there's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, and we're much like Israel long ago. We multiply lies and violence. We disobey what God tells us to do. Even, even those of us in the church, we, have the, we can put on the good outside appearance. We're like the little boy. His mom, he's rambunctious. And mom made him sit down finally, and he said to her, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And we're like that with God, aren't we? I mean, sometimes we shake our fist, our little fist at God. You're not going to tell me what to do. Or we kind of halfway ignore God. Or we pretend. Or we follow the world's way to redefine what sin is. Or argue that there is no such thing. And That's our tendency to disobey what God's commanded. It's been the tendency of our race forever. We tend to, number three, we tend to depend on what's undependable. Verse 1 says, he makes a covenant with Assyria, and olive oil is carried to Egypt. So the tendency is to depend on what's undependable. Assyria was the great army of the day. They had all the power and all the strength. And we said, uh, Israel said, if we just turn to Assyria, they can protect us. And we'll never have a problem because we can can count on them. But Assyria was incredibly undependable. Like much of the world, they were selfish and self-centered and focused more on themselves than others. And when we depend on what's undependable. And the Bible says they, um, they sell olive oil and bring it to Egypt. And they say Egypt's the great powerhouse economically. And so we'll just depend upon them. And if we have enough things, if trade goes well enough, we can count on them. But we're depending upon what's undependable. I just want you to note this tendency to run away is not a new tendency. We always think it just will be a little bit better. If I could just change circumstances, if I could change my situation to be a little bit better. Long ago, Irma Bombeck wrote this 
this book, bestseller book with the title, The Grass is Always Greener Over the Septic Tank. And it's, there's something about that, isn't it? We always think, well, it's going to be so much better if we could just get there. And then we find out, you know, maybe not. So we're chasing what we can't ever grasp. And we're running from what God tells us to do. And we're depending upon the world and other things instead of on God. And I suspect some of you have, like Israel, I mean, you just have a tendency to run, you run from God, either blatantly and openly or just sort of behind the scenes. And you run from God. It's a common story. It's a common story. And some of you are doing that undoubtedly right now. And God has you in this place because, because he wants you to know that you can come home, but you'll never come home until you recognize this tendency in life to run. We have a tendency to be the prodigal. The prodigal son is not the only prodigal in human history. And human history is filled with Christian history, filled with people who name the name of Christ who have run from God and gone their own way, chased after the world as though that's going to satisfy, or run from what God tells us to do. I know what God says, but, and chased everything but God. It depended upon things and positions and power. If I could just get the next promotion, if I could just get the next rank, and we, we think that's going to satisfy, and God's saying, there's something so much better. Just note, just note in your life this tendency that we have to run. There's an old hymn that said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Man, I know that in my life, don't you, in yours? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. There's this tendency in our lives to run from God. There's a second principle I want you to note. We rightly receive consequences. Verse 2 talks, us about, talks to us about consequences. The Bible says there, the Lord also has a dispute with Judah. He's about to punish Jacob according to his conduct, and he will repay him based on his actions. So the Bible's talking here about consequences, and it's a really important part of maturity in life and maturity spiritually. You sort of understand consequences. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you're too young for a job. Maybe you're too old for a job. Maybe you're too rich for a job. But let's say maybe you have a job, and so you work a job, and they pay you money to do it. Now, let's imagine you go to work, and the boss says, man, you are, you're doing a great job for our company. Our company just can't help notice what a great job you're doing. Stellar work. And we'd like you to keep doing that job. We just don't want to pay you anymore. Just keep doing the job. We just don't want to pay you anymore. And perhaps you'd say, listen, anything I can do for the company, I mean, yeah, I'll be happy to help you. But probably you're going to say, listen, we have a little of an, we have an agreement here. There's uh, this little thing about consequences. I work and you pay me for that work. So I expect that I'm going to do a job and you're going to pay me for that job. There are going to be consequences. And I'm not going to just work because it's a two-way street. I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility. I, I do things and there are results that follow that. So let's note what the Bible says about consequences. There's these two principles we've seen over and over in the book of Hosea. And really it's in the Bible often. God disciplines those he loves and we reap what we sow. So when the Bible says God disciplines those he loves, it's a quote from the Bible and it's a principle often in the Bible, and we've seen it in the book of Hosea, it's the picture of parents who, because they love their children, set some boundaries. Because they care about their children, they discipline them out of love, and God, of course, out of his love, disciplines us 
It doesn't always feel like love, does it, when we get disciplined? We don't always think God loves us when he says, listen, there's consequences. But it's the, it's the reminder. A parent sort of can understand that, that God disciplines those he loves. And then the Bible says we reap what we sow. And it's the picture of farmers. And probably not very many farmers here today, maybe a few, but not very many. But farmers had an advantage. If you're a gardener, maybe you've seen this as well. You reap what you sow. If you don't like the harvest, then you have to think about the planting If you don't want to reap something, you're going to have to sow differently. And the Bible is telling us that we're going to reap, the harvest is going to be a result of what we have planted, what we sow, because we rightly receive consequences. And verse 2 tells us, the Lord says, I've got a dispute with Judah, and I'm about to punish Jacob according to his conduct. That is, he has a responsibility. He will repay based on his actions what he has done. So... It's not about Israel. It's not because of what anyone else has done, but you, you're responsible for your own actions. Can I just say to you, you're not responsible for what anyone else in all the world has done. You're not responsible. If your parents have done wrong by you, that's on them. If your spouse or your boss or your neighbor does wrong, that's on them. But you are responsible for what you do. And no one else in all the world is. No one else in all the world is. You're responsible for your own choices and actions, your responses, your choices, your direction. Man, that's a part of really, gain, really gaining maturity in life and in your spiritual life to say, I'm responsible. I can't blame it on anyone else in the world. Circumstances affect me. Problems affect me. But I'm responsible for my choices. So I'm often asked this question. You... you You can't live a long time in our world without getting to this question, and certainly not in your spiritual life either. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? And let me just, I'll do a little short answer. It will be inadequate. I think if I gave a long answer, I don't think I could deal with the subject fully. I'll I'll just say these three things. Why do bad things happen? Well, one is it's just the result of living in a fallen, broken world. This is a fallen, broken world. The Bible talks about that very clearly and openly. There'll be a place where there'll be no more tears and sorrow and pain and brokenness, but that's not this world. Heaven will be a a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. But in this world, as a result of sin entering this world and the fall of mankind, this broken, fallen world, things happen in this world that are simply the result of living in a world that is affected by sin and its consequences. But sometimes bad things happen because of the wrongs of others. People sin and it affects us. They do wrong and they affect us. Our family members, our friends, our co-workers can do things that affect us. But sometimes bad things happen because of our own choices and decisions. And we say, why do bad things happen? Sometimes I have to say, I'm facing the consequences just as Israel did, just as Judah did for the choices that I've made. And no one else in all the world is responsible. If you want to blame someone else, welcome to the club. Lots of people do that. And they never take responsibility for their actions. And it's always someone else's fault. And I just remind you this, of the principle of consequences. You are not responsible for the sins of others, but you are responsible for yours. And if you get that, if you'll say, God, I want to take responsibility for my sins. What they do, that's on them. But what I do, Lord, I want to recognize this truth that you teach in your word 
God disciplines those he loves. And you reap what you sow. And consequences are a part of life. Can I just remind you how true this principle is? Jesus took the rightful consequences of my life upon himself on the cross. I'm a sinner who rightly deserves to be separated from God. I rightly deserve the cross, but Jesus took my consequences upon himself. And if I will repent of my sin and place my faith in Christ, Christ will, the Lord God will forgive me of my sins because Christ paid my penalty, because Christ died in my place. God forgives me not because he ignores the reality of consequences of sin, but because Jesus took those consequences upon himself on the cross of Calvary. That's a third principle I want you to know. We can overcome our past. I love this truth that the Bible teaches us. And verses 3, 4, and 5, we see the story of Jacob, a little of the story of Jacob, and later he's known as Israel. And it's really an analogy for Israel, and it's, an, it's a lesson for us as well. So the Bible says in, in verse 3, in the womb, Jacob grasped his brother's heel, and as an adult, he wrestled with God. Jacob struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with him. The Lord is the God of armies. The Lord is his name. So the Bible tells us about this character, Jacob. The Bible tells us he deceived. He's not the only one who's ever done that. He deceived his brother. He found ways to be less than honest. And we, it's not uncommon for us. In fact, it's it's not even uncommon for us to lie to ourselves. The Bible says he battled. He battled his brother Esau. He grasped the heel coming out, and he battled him in all kinds of ways for blessings, etc. He battled the angel of the Lord. Uh, what I believe to be an epiphany of the, the a theophany of the Lord himself uh, in the Old Testament, and he wrestled the Lord. And you may wrestle God sometimes, wrestle with God. There's always a consequence to that. And Jacob, as a result of that, came out with a limp. And for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. I always notice this about, about Jacob. My paternal grandfather um, walked all of his life with a limp. As a little boy, he injured his hip. And for the rest of his life, he had a seri- his leg didn't grow properly. And he had a terrible limp for the rest of his life. He wore a big shoe. I saw a guy just recently an older man who knew my grandfather. My grandfather died. My, when, maybe my earliest childhood memory is of seeing my grandfather, but just a little, just a little boy and, when he passed away. And so anytime I meet someone who knew my grandfather, I'm always just really fascinated and drawn to that. And so this man knew my grandfather. And the first thing he said was what every person I've ever met pretty much who knew my grandfather would say first. He had a, man, he was crippled. And I just remember he had that big shoe that he wore to kind of help with his limp. Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. But can I tell you something? We all walk with a limp. Isn't that right? Spiritually speaking, we all walk with a limp. We bring the pain of our past and our problems and our difficulties to this place. And while the Lord is able to forgive and the Lord is able to bring healing, I I recognize that in this world, we always have this limp in our lives because of our past and the way we have to struggle with our difficulties. And you thought maybe you're the only one who had that limp. But I'm telling you, every, every person here has been affected by sin. Every one of us has been marred by that condition. We all walk with a limp. And then the Bible tells us he met God. In verse 4, he found him at Bethel. 
which means the house of God. He was saying, I'm in the presence of God. There he spoke with him. God speaks to us in his word, and we can speak to God in prayer, and God wants a relationship with us. And then the Bible tells us he saw more of who God is. In verse 5, he saw that the Lord is the God of armies, and the Lord is his name. And he began to see a little more of who God is. That's sometimes translated the Lord God Almighty. And he saw that God was bigger than his limp, and God was bigger than his past, and God was bigger than his deception, and God was bigger than him. And maybe that's a lesson God wants you to know as well. Maybe you came to this place with some family issues. It's a common story. Some pain and hurt from your family. Thomas Wolfe, I referenced at the beginning, the novelist who said you can't go home again. Supposedly, it's hard to verify this, but supposedly in, later in his life he came to a speaking engagement at a college and arrived drunk. And he stood in front of the people gathered there and he just said this. He said, all I ever wanted was a father who loved me. All I ever wanted was a father who loved me. Maybe some of you understand that a little bit. And you come here with some family issues as well. Maybe a father or mother who are not what they should have been. Or maybe you have a broken relationship in a marriage. Or maybe your parents struggle with you. Or maybe you struggle with your children. Or, man, the Lord is the God, the Lord God Almighty. He's bigger than that problem. He's bigger. And you can overcome your past. And if you want to, you can stay a victim to your past forever. And many, many, many do. But God reminds us he is bigger than our problems. He's bigger than the limp with which we're walking. That limp that we carry through our lives from our family issues. Or maybe it's just personal issues. We have people in this congregation from every, with every sort of personal problem you can imagine. People who have dealt with addiction and failure and a broken heart and personal loss. And they come to this place with a past and with a limp from that past. And I remind you that God is the Lord God Almighty. He is the God of armies. He is bigger than your pain and your problems and your past. One of the descriptions in the Old Testament of God, many there are many ways of describing God. He's bigger than we can fully comprehend. But one of the descriptions of God is Jehovah Rapha. And it means the God who heals. And it's saying for those of us who come into our world, come into this place with a limp, he's the God who heals. He's the God Almighty who's bigger than our problems. And he's the God who heals. So we come with that pain and that past. So in heaven, there'll be no more. My grandfather who came to Christ as a middle-aged man. In heaven, there'll be no more limp. In heaven, Jacob's, Jacob's limp is healed. But in this world, we all walk with a limp. But how thankful I am to know he's the God who heals. And he helps us to deal with the past and the pain and the problems and the difficulties and whatever it is that you brought to this, to this place. Maybe it feels too big for you. But he's the, God, he's the Lord God Almighty. Maybe it seems, maybe you feel too broken to ever come to him. He's the God who heals. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? How he was waiting, his father was waiting for him to return? Well, let's note a fourth principle together. We can come home again. Boy, you need this one. Write that down if you're a note taker. We can come home again. Verse 6 says, you must, but you must return to your God, maintain 
maintain love and justice, and always put your hope in God. And there are three words I want you to, I'd ask you to write on your notes there as we talk about coming home again. The first is the word return. The Bible is saying here, uh, but you must return to your God. God is inviting you to come home. He invites you to come home. He's like the prodigal son's father who is always looking for the prodigal son to come home. God invites you to come home. And he uses that word return. We use the word sometimes in the Bible and certainly in the New Testament, the term repent. And repent means we turn from sin and we turn to God. It's both. We're turning from something and to something. We turn from sin and we turn to God. And maybe as God speaking to your heart about returning to him, he will deal with you on some particular issue. And he's saying, I want you to turn from that in order to turn to me. I want you to turn from that sin in order to turn to me, the one who is able to forgive and heal and cleanse, the one who's powerful and mighty, who's the Lord of armies and the God who heals. And perhaps when I talk about repentance and talk to you about coming home, that's an issue the Lord would deal with you. There's a second word I want you to write down. Write down the word maintain. The Bible says you must return to your God and maintain love and justice. So God wants you to live right. He he invites you to come home, but God wants you to live right. He always does. God always cares about what we do or don't do. He cares about that. It matters to him. Because God is a God who loves and God is a God who is holy. The Bible talks here about maintaining love and justice. It reflects the very character of God. God who is love, God who is holy. God cares about us loving others, loving him, and God cares about justice. God cares about what is right, what is good. He always wants us to live right. God always cares about righteousness. Holiness will always matter to God. It doesn't matter much to our world. I, I get that. Our world doesn't care deeply about holiness, even many who name the name of Christ. It's one of the ways we stumble away from God. But God is saying, I want you to live right. Maintain love and justice. Learn to love like I love. Care about what I care about. Care about right and wrong. I'm thankful for the justice of God that reminds us there are consequences to our actions, that God is holy. I'm thankful for the love of God that reminds us God cares about us, and the cross is the perfect combination of God's holiness and God's, uh, God's love for us, Christ doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want you to find that salvation. But Christian, if you know him as Savior, God will care about you doing what's right. We return, we maintain, and then write the word hope. Always put your hope in God, the Bible says. So God invites you to come home, and God wants you to live right. But God wants you to trust him with your life and with your future. To put your hope in God. One of the reasons God calls you to come home is because God's way is right and good and best for you. So whatever you've chased, whatever wind you've been chasing and thinking that's going to be what satisfies, that's what I need, that's what I want. God's got a better way. And he provides hope a life of meaning, a life of purpose. You can trust God with your life. You can trust God with your future. You know, you can't always trust Assyria. 
And you can't always trust Egypt, but you can always trust God. You can't ever always trust the east wind of, of this world, the possessions and things that the world offers. You can't always trust the search for, for power or pleasure or whatever it is that you've chased. God, and God wants you to chase him. And if this day you need to come home, I want you to know that you know, God, God didn't leave. He didn't move. He didn't wonder. And you can come home like the prodigal son. You can come home like Hosea waiting for a promiscuous bride or God calling back a promiscuous nation or God calling us back to him. Come home. Come home. You can't change one thing about your past. You can't change one thing about what's happened in days gone by. But you can change this day and the next and the next. And God says, come home, come home. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And maybe when I talk about coming home, that just, there are many of you, perhaps God is using this in your life. He's speaking to you about coming home. This isn't just like a theoretical, someone needs to come home, but this is you. And maybe it's okay on the outside. No, others might not know, but you know that you've wondered from the Lord. And so this day, wouldn't you say, God, I want to come home where I need to repent, to turn from in order to turn to. I want to say yes to you. Some of you are here who need to be saved. You need to give your life to Christ. And I want to ask you today to repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as your savior. Christ will save you. He can save you. I'm thankful for God who invites us to come home. Lord, I want to thank you for this great book of the Bible that's reminding us of truths that we need. We know, like the old hymn of old, uh, of old we are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. It's easy for us to run from you. We know how easy it is to drift to chase, to chase the things of the world that don't last, to forget about what matters most. And so, Lord, would you call us back to yourself and today we want to come home. Lord, would you use this word, this message from your word to help people today to say yes to you and to come home and to find you're like that prodigal son, waiting, ready, able, to forgive and to heal and to cleanse. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.